Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. My name is Alora Chestikoff, and I am from Firebird Summit. My partner in this podcast is Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. Every week we meet and discuss coaching topics relative to professional development, personal development, business, and entrepreneurship. Join us and see if there's anything else you'd like to add to the conversation. Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Firebird Summit. Ooh, <laughs> grow or die. <laughs> oh my God, this is my, my day is already getting me spun around. Um, yes, and I am Alora Chestikoff, which I am actually Alora Chestikoff from Firebird Summit. Get this right. There it is. What's up, everybody? As you can tell, we've been having a long week. I'm Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. It's always a pleasure to be with you, my friend. You too, pal. Oh my goodness. I'm like, just I, I keep thinking I can't even remember what day of the week it is. Yeah. All righty. So on that note, uh, I have something that you know has come up a couple of times that I want to talk about today. Okay. So you know we we discuss framing and reframing a lot, um, and I think that's terminology that we kind of take for granted, right? Because it's a very like coachy thing to do and talk about. Um, but I think I want to get into like the meat of it a little bit more, right? One of the really valuable techniques that we learned when we were going through our training to become coaches is the relationship between, you know, the way we feel about something really being rooted in an underlying thought, right? And the fact that really the most effective way to change an emotional reaction about something is to go back, identify the thought that's triggering that emotion and then work on that thought. How can we change that thought? And fundamentally, that's really what reframing is. It's changing how we think about something so we can have a different way of, of engaging with it on an emotional level. Um, and I really think that this is something that, again, I think coaches take for granted, like what this means and how it works. And I kind of want to get into the mechanics of this a little bit more, right? Because I think we all have things that, you know, we probably don't have great emotional reactions to, but they're not necessarily also always worth reframing. But I think sometimes if we can look at those, it gives us a sort of safe context, right? And I'll, I can totally start with this. Mm -hmm. I have the most dreaded relationship with this device. I hate the phone more than anything. When I can, I leave the house without it. I don't, I don't like that it tracks me. I don't like that it listens to me. I don't like that I feel stalked by it. And I sure as hell don't like the fact that anybody anytime can call me and reach me anywhere. And I am just expected to pick up the phone. Every time this thing rings, one of the first thoughts in my head is some version of, oh no, not again. Oh man, they're bugging me. Oh, I have too much to do. I don't want to talk to anybody, whatever it is, right? And then I end up with this very strong emotional reaction that includes like a knot in my stomach and like, like a bitter taste in the back of my mouth because I am so like invested emotionally in all of the reasons that my brain is listing off, that it just annoys the daylight out of me that my phone is ringing. And that's not helpful necessarily, but it's also not something that of all the things I've, I've put time and effort into trying to reframe, <laughs> that just hasn't surfaced at the top of my priority list. But, but it's something that's very visible for me on a daily basis. And I kind of wanted to talk about these examples, right? These very clear things that we know and we see these connections, but like if we wanted to change it, they're actually, those are the mechanics to do it. 
Yeah, yeah. And and, and it's and I and I love what you said about that because again, it's it's the little things, right? It, it starts with the simplest things in our life that that we need to reframe and change how we look at it, not just for the sake of and you know our conversation about toxic positivity, but it's changing how we view it, which thus trying to change how we experience it. And social media is one of mine. Uh, and in, in, in particular, having and trying to shield myself from the negativity or the extremes that people go to, positive and negative, um, but understanding that, you know what, Lawrence, why do you use social media? It's a tool. It's a tool to support my business. It's a tool to connect with others. Um, and I use it in accordance with the way and the purpose that it serves me. And I think reframing is such a powerful tool. It's a powerful conscious tool to be able to use. And it's until you understand, kind of name that thing, okay, what's the relationship currently that you actually need to change? And then you making a decision to, and I think that's a Laura, that's the biggest, the biggest part for a lot of people is how quickly they we navigate through the unconsciousness of everyday life, right? So where we can't identify that, hey, that cell phone is really causing you to have a negative response to a lot of things. And man, take that back, take that power back, own, take that ownership back of, or, and really just really land on what is it? What is it about people having access to you untethered access you believe um instead of reframing like hey i still get to choose and see if i I, if i answer your call i still got that choice um and you know and shout out to my mom uh because she's like uh it's time for you to reach out to me and via text and all the rest of that because she now knows like don't call me it's more chances now i see everybody to voicemail (laughs) (laughs) well and it's funny too because i think this and i think i think you raise a really important point here right a lot of this and a lot of the way we go through our days is not conscious. There are so many things that we do that are habitual. And it's everything from, you know, like one of the things that took me years to realize is that when I am nervous or stressed out, I hold my breath. I went years without realizing that I tend to do that. It actually wasn't until I was doing scuba diving training and my scuba instructor's like, Laura, stop holding your breath. And I was like, I didn't realize I was holding my breath, but I was, I was nervous and I was feeling claustrophobic and everything. And so my knee-jerk reaction was to hold my breath. Once I started, once he pointed out to me that he could see me doing that, then I started being aware of it. And in, in other circumstances and other times, other places, I would catch myself. I'm like, holy mackerel, I really am. I'm holding my breath. Like I don't grind my teeth. I don't do other like nervous tick stuff like that, but apparently I hold my breath and I, I wasn't aware of that. And I think that's so important. And I think this is where, again, sometimes it's a coach. Sometimes it's just, you know, someone who knows you well enough to say, uh, you know, you're doing that thing again, right? Like, you know, grinding your teeth is another one. A lot of people who do it don't know that they do it until they go to the dentist. And the dentist is like, the hell are you doing? You're, <laughs> you're destroying your teeth, you know? And, and so for me, those kinds of things are super important to surface. And it's really hard sometimes because we're not watching ourselves from the outside. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you, you hit it, man. So you brought back forward to me our, our recent Jamaica trip in June, and we did snorkeling for the first time. 
and my wife took to it like like a champ and me on the other hand i could not get it through my mind that you're you're one covering my nose and then i now have to breathe through this tube thing that i have to keep my my lips secured around and not breathe through my mouth but breathe through this tube and literally probably first five minutes of this concept of what the, what was happening, I freaked out. And literally that moment in what you just described is kind of like if we, you know, give people steps, like, you know, you got those people out there that maybe think like, okay, I hear you all talk about it. You all have gone through extensive coach training, all the rest of these things. What you just described to me is kind of that first level of reframing is observe what's going on. Notice what's happening with you. That emotion, right? The scuba instructor was like, hey, like, what's your breath doing? And literally the, the our guide, the, the um, lifeguard, he came over to me. He was just like, relax, relax. And he knew immediately what was going on. But my body locked up because I was like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And, yeah. and literally, and the crazy part about it is, I forgot I had a life vest on and I'm sitting there like I'm about to drown or something like, no, buddy, you can't go under unless you put your head under the water, like lift your head up and just chill. But the emotion was panic. The emotion was life or death in the moment. And it was just like, no, come back to yourself. And it was the moment that I checked in my thoughts about what I was experiencing. It was like, you're okay. And I think that awareness of, okay, you got a life vest on. If you get in trouble again, just lean back, right? It was like, it was like a Fat Joe song. I was just like, just lean back, get a breath or two. And without creating this extreme meaning of, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, which was, which was again, running through my mind, like, I'm going to drown. And it was just like, dude, lift your head up. Well, and it's also really because because I think the thing that that is really hard sometimes for us to realize is that the moment your brain is saying, oh, my God, I'm going to drown. Your body has a visceral reaction to that. It's a it's a trigger and it's a strong one. And especially when something feels really life or death, like our, we go into super hardcore, you know, fight or flight kind of lizard brain, you know, response to that. But the truth is, let's go back to the thought. Right. The thought is, oh, my God, I'm going to drown. And, and to be able to stop and say, all right, first of all, I can touch the ground where I'm standing. <laughs> Second of all, like this was supposed to be a fun activity. If it's not fun, I also don't need to do it. But let's walk through this. Am I really at risk of drowning right now? Probably not. So what, what is it that I'm feeling? And then, and then start, you know, getting back to, all right, so how is the thought that I keep? And the thing is, especially when we're in a panic, I think we're, we repeat the same thought over and over, which is a broken record, right? We get, especially again, some people have kind of that freeze up tendency that during the headlights sort of sensation um, naturally when they panic. Um, but part of that for a lot of people is just a recurring thought, recurring thought, recurring thought, recurring thought. And, and you have to be able to shove yourself out of that just mental treadmill enough to be able to shake yourself loose. So how did you, so, so did you end up walking yourself through that and being able to? I did. I did. So it, it was really in that moment, um, kind of putting, if you, in my mind, talking myself through this thing, like putting words to what I was actually experiencing and like, okay, dude, you got this. Not again, not that overly like you could do this, but it was really okay. Noticing what I'm going through, like 
hey, like I'm noticing my body is tensing up, which is counterintuitive because I'm trying to, you know, get a hang of this. So what needs to happen? And again, it was not judging myself for having the panic is like noticing what really is going on with me and noticing like, hey, you can do this. Remember what the instruction of the instructor, like and remember the instructions from the instructor, like before we got into the water. And it was like the moment that I paused, I noticed the message that I was like relaying it, like recalling in my head about what was happening and you're right my body once my brain was like you're about to drown my body locked up and that in and of itself almost you know if we can give imagery it put blinders on me right as we think about energy leadership index assessment and going through the eli when you're in having a stress response it's like those blinders and the only thing you could think about is the thing that's stressing you out and the quickest way to get out of that is okay notice what's happening What's the message that you're reacting to? And it was once I began to describe and be like, okay, dude, you're, you're good. The message actually is you're fine. You have all the equipment you need for this to go well. Now, remember what you were taught. And the moment that I did that, crazy enough, I was like, dude, your mouth was on the, the scuba gear wrong. It was, it was, it was your, the mouthpiece was wrong. That's why the water was coming in. That's what you were panicking to. That's what it, that's what you were having a reaction to because it's like, it's not working. And so once I remembered what I was supposed to be doing, I was like, oh, okay. But all the information came back to me once I calmed down and then I was able to reframe, you got this. And, yeah. and I moved forward and had a good time after that. <laughs> Well, and, and, and I think what you said right there is also really important, right? Once mm -hmm. you can relax your body, whatever that takes to do, then you can start actually remembering some of the other things that are useful. And I think to me, this is why it's really helpful to think about this as a process, right? Because I think, you know, some people, things that people do naturally, we don't really think of necessarily as a process, right? Because if you just naturally are amazing at hitting a baseball, you know, swinging a bat and hitting a ball and you just, you know, send it, send it out into the bleachers every single time. In some ways, it's actually harder for you to describe to someone who knew what you do, because it's just intuitive. You just pick it up, swing it, and you get your results. I think in some ways, I, I often find that when I'm working with somebody or trying to work through something or learn something new, I often find it more helpful not to go to someone who's a natural, but to go to someone who had to learn because they understand that to get to here, you have, you have steps and you have to make progress and you're going to backslide sometimes and you're going to, but they can break it down, I think, in a way that's a lot easier than somebody who's just a natural. I've had so many people over the years ask me, how do you do X, Y, and Z? And it, they will usually tap into things that I don't think twice about. And then for me to stop and say, I don't know how to teach you to do that, actually, because I just open my mouth and it happens. Like it's not, it's not conscious for me. And so for me, this thinking of this as a process, right? If you are finding yourself having an emotional reaction to something, that is the end result of a process. The, the beginning steps you might not be conscious of yet, but if you can recognize that whatever reaction you're having, whether it's, you know, to your mother-in-law or to your sister or to your boss or to your dog or to the neighbors or to your phone, whatever it is, whatever that emotional reaction is, is the last step in a process that, you know, built up to that. In which case, it's kind of like, you know, un unwinding, you know, a crocheted 
you know, piece of yarn, right? You just start pulling on it. Okay, now what's what was the one before this? Okay, what was the step before this? What was the step before this? And to me, that's a much more useful way to think about it because otherwise you're just in like an emotional hailstorm of a reaction. Mm-hmm. And I think you there's a, there's an important distinction that you just made there, particularly about that the emotion part and actually checking in on that and where it is inside the process and getting to the point where you're giving yourself permission to practice, permission to go through the process and not just engage through the emotion, which again, like you said, is that kind of that last part that you need to reverse engineer. It's like, okay, where, where'd you leave off, right? So you can go back, all right, if you need to go back to step one, go back to step one and then start the process from there and, and get out of the, that a heightened emotional state because understanding, again, the relationship to the stressor could, could again cause you to again be stuck in a place that is is you know it's not it's not good for you and I think for a lot of people um, and then I'll speak for me um, I know when I have a negative reaction in response to something it causes ripples to other things and in particular you know being reframing how I experience someone in in a space with me that that finger points or blames or anything else like that like I have you know again because that that doesn't happen at all in a corporate environment nobody blames anybody for anything everybody takes accountability um and I and it, the the one time I had to sit with that it was really my wife was she came downstairs and she was like I was on a phone with somebody and I was going off. Like I, Lord, I was just going off. And I was like, who are you talking to? It was like, you're not the victim here. Like, shut up all that. Like, I mean, I was going in. And after, like, after I got off the phone, she was just looking at me. She was like, why would you? And I gave her this look and she was like, all right, I'm going to the store. I'll be back. And what it did, like it gave me time and I already knew what the phrase she was about to say. She was about to say, why would you let somebody get that much of you? And and when she came back, I processed it. And the Lord, just what you described, it was just like, where did it all start going wrong? And it, it was like, I went back to, I was like, oh, there was a trigger word. There was a trigger word. And they, and I mean, and they used it. And then they, then they used it like a pogo stick. And they like kept like they kept using it. And I was like, by that time it was spiraling out of control. And I yeah. was like, I'm here for it. And then like, and I just went with it and 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 I couldn't reel it in because I was I was emotionally hijacked and I allowed myself to get that way. But then it was just like, okay, I gotta own my part of this. And that, but that's the part, the conscious part of it is like, okay, when it happens again, what will you do differently? And that part of it is what will you do differently is the thing I gave my, myself permission to practice. And that's where the, the ideation phase of reframing is, okay, you get to a point, okay, reframe, and it may be similar stressors, similar situations, and you have just multiple techniques to get yourself through it and process it. Um, and I think that's the biggest part for us as, as we adult um, and continue to grow and continue to evolve and change is figuring out, okay, and figuring out what season of life you're in and what works for you where you are today. Well, and I think you raise another interesting point there, right? Because when you're talking about getting to the point of being emotionally hijacked, the problem that I think we all, everybody has experienced, right? Is that by the time you're to that point, 
that state of emotion is now the focus. And it becomes the focus because oftentimes once we're that upset, we say stuff we regret, we do things we regret, we say or do things that, you know, create a much bigger problem later that have ripple effects that we wish we could, you know, take back and undo. And like, that's the problem with once we get to that point, right? So this is where I think that, especially once we, again, to your point, this is part of just being an adult, right? You start learning the stuff that is just your trigger. Like, you know, that the words that were being tossed out at you, especially once you started really just jackhammering on them, those ones are ones that you have to like keep composure about because they are triggers for you. You know, for me, there's not as much in the way of words, but tone. I have such, such dramatic, just visceral response. I mean, I, I, I've, I've had a couple calls this week with someone who just kind of uses that tone. And I just am like, okay, breathe. That's just, that's just the way they speak. And I can take it personally and then follow that rabbit hole down to a place where it's not going to be productive. Or I can just remind myself, A, don't take it personally. B, even if it is directed at me, what actually serves my interest in this situation? Guess what? None of it is reacting to that tone at all. There's nothing about reacting to that tone that's going to serve me well. But like actually starting to understand like what those triggers are so that you can stop yourself from getting there. Because I think that the, the difficult part is, is that a lot of times people who don't stop and analyze, okay, well, I just lost my cookies there and that was uncool. And I've just alienated, you know, people who matter. I've just made a mess and now I'm going to spend weeks cleaning that up. So, all right, how exactly did that happen again? Because I just remember like something, something and then seeing white <laughs> and then standing in the middle of a nuclear fallout. <laughs> like, and so like having, you know, taking a moment to step back and say, okay, clearly that train went off the tracks. What was the first hiccup or what was the last one? And maybe that's it too. It's always, you know, to your point, right? You might have to go back to the beginning, but a lot of times when you're unraveling that chain of events, it's okay. So this happened and then I saw myself do this. So what was it about this? And then what came before this that led to this and then just start tracing it back. And to me, that's where, you know, it can be really easy to discount oh, I just have emotional reactions. And this is where I always channel my inner Lawrence and say, stop being lazy. <laughs> mm, yeah. And, and you, you hit, you hit something there because again, is again, un helping people understand that this is a process of, of transformation when you're actively engaging in reframe. And it's, it's the process of building your dexterity when it comes to, okay, trusting that you have the skill set one but then the ability to find an understanding even in places like you know what yep this person engaged with me the in a way that um i felt like it was an ouch moment is very disrespectful however i still get to choose my response i get to choose my action and it's in understanding you know what i am not going to allow my character the person of me to be viewed in a different light as a result of this moment. And I think that's for where a lot of us, we get get ourselves in trouble is again, again, we complete that transaction 
and we 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 go back to the well. And, and I, again, I was a huge believer. Like everything, I'm the hammer. Everything's a nail. And it was the moment. It was like, dude, you got other tools in the toolbox to use. Like use the other tools to to address this problem. For, and, but that would insinuate that I need to now change the way that I'm seeing it, change my relationship with it, so that I'm not going back to that same. Okay, I see a nail. I'm about to whack it with this hammer. Um, and again, in, in my case, it was a sledgehammer. Um, so I was just swinging for the fences. And but for me, it was when I really sat back and I was like, okay, what is the emotion that I'm trying to work through? What is this feeling? What's this belief that, that I'm trying to work through? And it was this feeling of, you're not about to make me feel hopeless or helpless, right? And, and again, as, as we think about reframing whatever situation you're processing through, it's the relationship with the feelings of helplessness or hopelessness or um, the ego jumping in um, to any situation and the attitudes that are associated with that. And that's that, again, it's a process. It takes it takes time. And I think the biggest thing that we can do for folks um, that that give them this peace of mind about can I get through it? Yes. Give yourself grace, though. It's not going to happen overnight. Like You got to you got to grant yourself some reprieve, um, but continue to sign yourself up. And as Laura said, stop being lazy dig into it and, and uh, sign yourself up to practice differently. Well, and I think you also touched on something there that's really important too, right? Is that, you know, we'll talk about reframing and, and you and I, I think, can easily take for granted why it's valuable. But the truth is, when you get back to that sort of state of emotionally, you know, being emotionally hijacked and there are different reasons and there, and I'll have different motivations in different circumstances, right? For why I don't want to lose my temper or lose control. But at the end of the day, some of that's me being, you know, very type A and like wanting to be super controlled about how I respond. But there's also a very important um, prioritization there for me, right? Because at the end of the day, I think I could probably count on one hand the number of people in my life that I believe should have the ability to get under my skin to that degree, right? It's That is... Otherwise, I'm giving them too much power. The people who can just randomly do that to me, randomly push my buttons, like they don't deserve that much power in my life. And to me, that is a very important distinction is that I am the one who needs to decide who in my life is important enough, what circumstances are important enough for me to allow myself to lose whatever degree of control that is. And for me, that's a very important prioritization. So when I'm listening to someone use a tone of voice with me, where I'm like, Man, I wish we were in the same room together because I'll be throwing some stuff at you. And then I remind myself, you know what? This person is not important enough for me to lose my shit over. I'm not going to compromise my integrity. I'm not going to compromise my professionalism. I'm not going to compromise my dignity. And I'm certainly not going to do anything that makes them think I think they are important enough to get under my skin to that degree mm. period mm. you you remind me that that part right there just reminded me of that that quote was like stop allowing people to live rent free in your head and, I love that quote and, and I'm like you you just hit the nail on it for me and the crazy part about it is going back to that situation that that my wife caught me in and sent in similar ones to it it was because I was letting somebody live rent free in my head. And, and I was attaching and I was ruminating on what I thought 
they were thinking when they engaged the way that they did. And I'm having a whole conversation with myself about, and like, it was like, I was answering their questions. I was answering my questions. And it was just this, like this hurricane of things, like just in my head. And then it was like, dude, stop. Because what was beginning to happen, if we go back to the body sensations, like I was like by myself, nobody else around, I was beginning to relive all the physical things that were happening in that, in every single one of those circumstances, situations. And it was just like, whoa, stop. And I, and I think that in the, in the day and age that we live in is the world of people becoming more and more conscious about their mental wellness um, and mental health and all the rest of those things, like really tapping into these things. Because again, coaching does not only use reframing, but this is really counseling therapy who really dig into these things as well, because they it can get to a very unhealthy place. And I think the more and more we begin to learn about our individual selves, and the paradigms that we that kind of shift and kind of guide our lives, the more we could begin to take actual control of how we show up, how we how people experience us, and that's been um been has been one of the biggest things I've been helping uh, my leader clients with is becoming aware of how people currently experience them, and yeah. really getting that feedback because I think again bringing the unconscious to the conscious it really is because we have a lack of data points. And, and if you tell somebody, and again, one of the most powerful exercises I remember from, from coaching training was, you know, calling people and asking them their three words about you or their three characteristics. And I never forget getting mine and asking the following question of, hey, can you give me an example of that? And really like understanding people give us the words from the, their place of experience of us not their thoughts, not their perceptions. It's how they experience us. And I was like sitting with that reality that, dang, some of the closest people to me may experience me this way. And now they gave me the associated action. Now it's conscious to me. And now I get to choose to do something about it. And so doing this work, and I, and I know you already put the plug out there for people to get a coach. Don't do this by yourself. Do not, if you're asking a question like, man, what are my things? Okay. Get with the coach, get with somebody that can take you, walk you through and partner with you to begin understanding what it is about you, yourself, so that you can move in a positive direction uh, for you first, not for anybody else, for you first. Yeah, well, and I think that's that's part of it, right? I think, you know, we can we can definitely see the evidence of us making messes with the people in our lives for that. But ultimately, that still comes back to you. Like, what are you doing for you and how are you contributing positively or negatively? And I still think that, you know, there's, there are things that we do that sometimes we have to kind of almost be caught in the moment doing. So one of the techniques that I, I was actually recommending to someone earlier this week. So I remember one time, many, many, many years ago, I was taking a leadership training class and um, actually I think it was a communications class, but whatever it was, um, it was in my old employer had an internal university. They were actually really good about a lot of training. And so one of the exercises was a group, it was a group exercise, but they were recording us from behind a one-way mirror. And so then afterwards we would watch the way we were interacting with the group. And the truth is I learned so much watching that video. I learned that I was talking over people. I learned that I was 
fidgeting like a crazy hyper over caffeinated whack job. I looked like I was completely strung out. I wasn't giving other people a chance to contribute. I was steamrolling. Like, I, like you want to pick a just bad set of cliches. Like I saw all of it and I was so horrified, but I can't think of anything that I've ever experienced that had as big an impact on me consciously making a deliberate effort to start changing my behavior because it forced me out of looking at my scenario from behind my eyes and looking at me. And so now I will randomly, I'll ran, I will randomly video myself during meetings. Like I'll be on a call and I have a second computer over here. I have my phone. I have other things. I can record me watching it just so I make sure that especially when I know I'm in a meeting with somebody who has a tendency to get under my skin, especially if I know we're taking on a topic that I find a little on the contentious side and I'm nervous about, or I'm, I'm not feeling super confident about, I will record at least just watching me so I can watch it later and see what was my face doing? What was I saying? Was I letting people talk or was I steamrolling them? Like, like to actually watch that stuff. And that can be so, so valuable. And sometimes it's really embarrassing when you step back and take a look at it. I love that because you you took me back to 2018 as I'm preparing for my TED talk and my TEDx talk. And our coach had us do that exercise of have someone when we're practicing, have someone record us and then watch it without sound and just watch what your body does and your hands and all the rest of these things. And, and even to this day, being mindful about you know, the faces I make, because I'm a face maker um, when, when I'm displeased and all the rest of this. And again, and I was just watching Karate Kid, the, the, the newest one with Jaden Smith and um, Jackie Chan, where he was like, he was telling before the karate term, he was like, mind your face, mind your face when you're making moves. And I, and I don't never forget, like at the tournament, his first one, he made this crazy face and he was like, look at your face. And everybody was laughing at the face he made. He was like, you got to mind your face. And I think, and, and the, the way that I got, I got feedback, it was in another meeting, probably a couple of weeks ago with some clients. And it was a contentious conversation. And one of the team members, they were like, they private messaged me in Zoom. They said, Hey, are you okay? I can't get a read on how you're feeling. And I was like, I'm doing good because <laughs> I was over and it, the biggest thing that I noticed about myself is when in meetings where you know, like you said when I know contention has the possibility of showing up depending on the topic I always need something to write with I have to get it out and so I was I was taking my notes that way I wouldn't have to try to contain what I was feeling and so what I was feeling I was writing and so that like, and I began to understand that about myself. And so you're there, you're spot on about having the ability to, to use video, to use audio, to hear how you're responding, to see how you're responding. So that again, you can use that as data points to get you smart about you and how, how you desire to show up better in these situations. Because at your level and you're in the organization, you're an influencer in every single one of those spaces. And the last thing I know you want somebody to interpret one of your facial expressions mm -hmm. and then be like, you know what? Yeah, I'm not going to engage Alora because I know last time somebody said something similar to that, she made a face at it. Yeah. And you'd be like, God, that's the worst. That's well, and to me, that's actually probably one of the the things that comes up the most, right? Is that leaders especially underestimate 
the weight that the people around them, especially their team, especially people who you know consider them hierarchically above them for whatever reason, um, you know that the weight that comes with that stuff is way more powerful than you think it is. And it can be enormously dissuasive and it can make people not trust you. And the thing that I always find super surprising, but then when I've been in leadership roles, I was just as surprised by it, is when you hear or when you know, you tell a leader, well, they didn't know if they could tell you. They didn't know if they could trust you to react in a way that made it safe for them to give you this bad news. And I've never once seen a leader who didn't say, oh my God, why would they think they, like, why would they think they couldn't trust me with that? Like, that's always the reaction. And you have to then be able to start playing it back. Well, they watched how you reacted here. And then they saw you do this when this bad news came up. And, and, the, but there, and, and it's funny because on almost every case, right, when you have that conversation, They'll say, but there was a reason for that. And there, there was an excuse for that. And, and that was because of this. And I'm like, okay, the window dressing doesn't matter. What they saw was you had a reaction that they didn't want to be on the receiving end of. And as soon as they internalize that, they're way, way less inclined to give you bad news if they're afraid you might kill the messenger. And so this, again, gets us back to why does it matter? Why reframe? Why is it that the way you think about something and the emotional reaction that results matters to you is because you are projecting something out there. And whether it's to your team or to your spouse or to your kids, or it doesn't even matter who it is, but that piece. And like, you have to be sure that what you're projecting, A, serves you, B, fosters the kind of relationships that you're looking to have with the people around you and C doesn't undermine the things about you that are truly important. It doesn't undermine your sense of integrity or your sense of dignity or your sense of purpose or anything like that. Like there's, there has to be an authenticity there, but it's also, you know, about making sure that you are understanding what you're attempting to put out. You might not be successful, and other people can still interpret things in a way that you never saw coming, but at least to be thoughtful about what is it that I'm trying to express about myself? What is it I want people to believe about me or to feel about interacting with me? Once you know that, then of course, finding yourself emotionally hijacked by anything is unacceptable because then you lose control of all of that. Yeah. And, and I think that that distinction, right, is is kind of that that the next level of taking ownership and accountability of how you show up in a space and how you respond and react in 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 a space and i think that that's the part where nope you can't heisman trophy your responsibility to mind how you show up like that that is that's something you can't pawn off on anybody else like that's that's the adulting part of this thing it's like all right yep i was wrong I was wrong for, and again, and I love the part that you said, like, what is the message that you want people to respond to, to, and, and again, and if it's contrary to what you say you value, how you say you want to show up, and if that, and if that message is opposite of what you want to project in the world, why? What changed the message? What did you react to? And I think that putting some framework and putting some time in just really getting curious about your stuff keeps you from everybody being in everybody else's Kool-Aid. 
in in figuring out okay like you know what yep i still got work to do good and guess what if i still got work to do probably everybody else got work to do too it's okay not alone in this work it's just that the difference is you signed yourself up to, to practice and maybe somebody else's process is their process don't judge them for it don't judge yourself for going through your process just sign yourself up for it give yourself permission to practice doing something differently yep so okay so then let's end with what is give me an example of something that for you was like a super powerful oh man that's not how I want people to see me so now I have to change something yeah mine I always go back to the feedback being shared with me about uh being an empathetic person uh being empathetic and not being dismissive of other the way other people experience things because of how that makes other people feel. And when I initially got that feedback, Laura, it was it was a bit off-putting because I was like, I care about people. And it was like, do you really? <laughs> and but it was the moment I was like, and in empathy from this standpoint of being able to not say I want to put myself in somebody else's shoes or say I understand, but seek to understand why something is impacting them the way that it is. And I think once I did that reframe on, okay, stop trying to interpret everybody else's stuff and allow them to express it to you, then I was not only honoring them, but I was honoring actually the way that I want people to approach me when it comes to ask me what's happening with me. Don't assume you know. And and again, it was just this beautiful, this is a beautiful transformation to happen with me. What about you? Um, for me, so I remember, so my ex-husband used to get really worked up at like strangers who cut in front of him in line or like, and he would always take it very personally. Like they were out to, you know, hurt him. They, they were, it was specifically a personal attack on him. And I remember like watching this over and over again and thinking, they weren't even thinking about you. Like they were, you know, on their phone or they were listening to their kids scream or, you know, whatever, like, and, and actually realizing that watching him do that and watching how worked up he would get just so upset he would get and thinking to myself, that is given a whole bunch of other people, a whole lot of power starting with the assumption that they're even thinking about you. It's not about you. It has nothing to do with you. And so it, that was where I realized that. And then I started noticing there are places where I do it as well. Not, you know, not quite as dramatically as, as what I would see him do it, but realizing that like nine times out of 10, ain't nobody thinking about you. It's not about you. They got their own shit. They got, you know, somebody cuts you off in the, in a car, I mean, yeah, occasionally it's, you know, a jerk who's just trying to be a jerk, but for the most part, like, you know, it was an accident and oversight and, oh shit, I need to get into that lane right now. Like, you know, whatever it is, like, it's not, it's so rarely personal, but we're so in the habit of assuming that it is. And just like, and so that for me was it, it was like the assuming an intention um, and that, and like, just realizing that, you know, we actually assume people's attention, you know, intention, I awful lot and some people will default to like the most like dire negative version of that intention but either way it's like you know it probably doesn't help to assume someone's attention if it's somebody that you're interacting with just ask like just ask no that's the sauce right there
Yeah, just ask. It's it's not like it's not the end of the world. It's like okay, uh, what do you mean by that? Because uh, you know, lots of ways for me to interpret it. I just mm -hmm. want to hear how you would suggest I do that. Like it's not an unfair question. And so yeah, so for me that was it. Like realizing that we can choose how we interpret other people's behavior, um, and you know, we don't have to choose the option that's going to lead to us being pissed just because that's the way, you know, our parents did it, or that's the way we were raised to do it. Like, that's a choice. Mm -hmm. Love it. So yeah, that's for me, that was a huge one. So, all righty, my friend, I think, I think we are good. And I am as always delighted to talk to you. Yes, ma'am. Same here. Be well. Right. And uh, until next time. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me and Lawrence in this week's episode of Grow or Die. Join us next week when we'll take on our next topic. In the meantime, have a fantastic week.